Last week we started our new Advent series called The Perfect Christmas. Who doesn't want the perfect Christmas? Some of us want the perfect Christmas so bad that we have sabotaged a whole bunch of Christmases, right? We've put these expectations on Christmas that we needed uh, to fulfill us or maybe to... to um, uh, give some meaning in a dark season or whatever. And then we find out the the perfect Christmas is really hard to recreate, uh, because we're surrounded by people who aren't perfect, right? It's their fault. It's not ours for up to us. It would be a perfect Christmas. But last week we talked about the actual perfect Christmas. The, the original perfect Christmas was the perfect season. And this morning we're going to talk about, uh, the perfect person. Uh, I'm going to pause for one second and ask, can, can we get the house lights up? I'm just too blind to make any kind of eye contact when it's still down. I'm sorry. I just am not. Uh, I'm too old. So um, how many of you have not seen the movie Elf with Will Ferrell? Is there anybody here who's not seen this movie? So the reason I'm asking is we are staging an intervention for you. Um, because we care about you, uh, we desperately need to set up a time to watch this movie. So, uh, for the two of you who raised your hand, um, I actually only saw two hands. There might have been more. I only saw two. So for the rest of us, I, I would say, do you remember the scene where, uh, finally Jovi has agreed to go get food? You know, the code, right? They go on the date. He takes her to show her what he thinks is a magnificent Christmas tree, and she just kind of giggles and grabs his hand and takes him to Rockefeller Center. Remember this scene? I actually experienced this scene a week ago. Only instead of like a blonde on a date, it was Neil Childs (laughs) dragging me to a tree. It's far less magical. Our first night in the city last week uh, was, it just so happened to be the lighting of the tree. Uh, Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani and all these other people that I, um, you would know their names, they were doing this big show and it was televised and it was live. And most of the population of planet Earth was there for that. So I had no desire to walk towards Rockefeller Center. I wanted to walk the opposite way. And, and Neil Childs. You're not hearing me, people, in the house of the Lord. (laughs) Neil Childs was being more festive than me. I just want you to think about how that reflects on your character as a human. Like when you're in a moment where Neil Childs is more festive than you, you're like, I guess I got to change my heart, Lord. (laughs) And so... Uh, and, and Julie and Marisa also wanted to go and, and I like them better. And so we, I'm like, okay, fine. And it's all blocked off. Like they don't want any more humans there. There's police officers everywhere going, don't go look at the tree, but we're determined to find a way. And we finally get to the tree. And here's the thing about that little scene in the movie. It actually is pretty incredible. I was, I was actually shocked. It is 84, I almost said stories, is 84 feet tall. That is, God bless you. Uh, it is a, that was kind of violent. Uh, it's distracting me a little bit. It's 84 feet tall. It's eight stories tall. Like this is a two story building. It's eight of, of these stories, right? It's, it's just incredible. It's huge. And, and here's the thing we're going to discuss this morning who this baby is and was. And I'm just telling you, he's bigger than we thought. 
Like, if this text this morning, instead of grabbing our hand and dragging us to a tree, if this text will grab our hearts and drag us to see Jesus with a little more clarity today, I believe our hearts will be helped to see him a little clearer for who he is. So please grab your Bible, if you would, please, this morning. If you don't have one, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And uh, we're going to invite you to join with us in our tradition where we hold our Bibles up and say a creed together before we jump in. So let's hold them up and let's declare this together this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, it's page number 915 if you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you. Galatians chapter 4, uh, I said this last week, but again, I'm just grateful for uh, Pastor Skip Heitzig's uh, work on this Advent text that I'd never in my life had seen as an Advent text before. Uh, grateful for that. One, one of the stories that, that Skip Heitzig shared in, in regards to where we're headed this morning is he told the story about a family that had a certain Christmas tradition. Maybe your family has a lot of Christmas traditions, or maybe your tradition is that you don't have any traditions. I don't know. But he told the story of this family whose Christmas tradition was simply they would drive around one evening during the Christmas season and they would look at lights and always end at the same kind of old school church that had the big nativity set out in front of it. You know, this big, beautiful, magnificent, steepled church with this nativity scene. And he tells the story of one year in particular that the daughter was old enough to have remembered this tradition from the year before. And she said this, she said, why hasn't Jesus gotten any bigger in the last 12 months? And for some of us, we've been following after Jesus for a long, long time. And what I'm really hoping the text might do for us this morning is maybe he'll grow up a little bit in our eyes as we see him for who he is. Two simple verses have been our text last week, this week, and again next week. It says this, when the fullness of time had come, the perfect season Last week we talked that historically it was the, the perfect season culturally and it was the perfect season spiritually. It was the perfect season politically. We know it was the perf- perfect season prophetically. He had fulfilled everything he had to fulfill in order to come then. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of woman. Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Last week we talked about the perfect season. This morning I want to talk to you about the perfect person. We're going to zero in on on just four ideas from these simple words in this text that might begin to possibly scratch the surface of how big he really is. Of how magnificent he really is. The first thing I want you to see is the perfect backstory. The perfect backstory. And that is, he is fully eternal. And I must confess, I don't know what partially eternal would be. That seems like one of those all or nothing kind of words. But he is fully eternal. The simple word sent. God sent forth his son. God did not create his son. God did not make his son. God did not begin his son. 
God sent his son. And I don't know, I don't know if you know this, that's not how birth works. There's not actually a little village of babies overseen by storks who deliver them at the appropriate time. That's not how that works. God sent his son. And and I want us to, to hear a couple powerful truths this morning. This is the doctrine of the pre-existence of Jesus. That he existed before we saw him. <laughs> He's eternal. This is the eternality of Jesus, the son of God. And his story just began in flesh, but that wasn't the beginning of his story. Jesus stepped into this story pre-existing. We talked last week about how all of time is divided by B.C., before Christ, and then A.D., but I said last week that that idea of before Christ is really kind of a misconception because there's never been a moment that existed before Christ. He always has been. Skip Heitzig said this. This is awesome. Jesus Christ is the only one who ever lived before he was born. Right? You're like, hey, Doug, would you make sense of that for me? No, I can't help you. Right? Whoa. He's the only one who lived before his birthday. That's incredible. He's eternal. Last week, we talked about, um, when we were focused on the, the perfect season, we talked about the high priestly prayer of Jesus in the garden. John chapter 17. Uh, And we looked last week at at the first verse of that chapter where he said, Father, the hour has come. Right? The fullness of time right there from the lips of Jesus. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. But just a few verses later in verse number five, we read Jesus saying this. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Like he didn't just exist before he was born. He existed before time was born. <laughs> we're, we're trying to let this text grab our hand and take us to the, see the magnitude of this thing, right? He existed before there was such a thing as time. Before the world existed, he existed in his glory. John Piper said the glory of Christmas is that it is not the beginning of Christ. Long before that first Christmas, his story had begun, not just in various prophecies, but in a divine person. And the incredible thing about how his story began is it technically didn't begin. It always was. Huh? So... Nowadays, whenever a character gets introduced into a show or a film franchise or whatever, if people really like that character, you're like, "Mm, they're going to come out with another movie about his origin story, right? People liked him. They're going to make money off of this character. They're going to tell us the origin story. Here's the origin story of God the Son. He doesn't have one because he's always existed. (laughs) He has no origin. Isn't that great? Anybody? That's the doctrine of the pre-existence of God the Son. And if we could see the magnitude of who He is, maybe we can respond a little bit more appropriately to who He is. The perfect backstory, He's fully eternal. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Number two, see the perfect 
Son, capital S. He is fully God. This is a great time for us to say again, and I think most of us in this room would say, yes, I I believe that theologically, but what a great time of year to say again, Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus was a good leader. Jesus was a compassionate human being, and he was infinitely more than that. He is nothing less than God of all gods. Jesus, the Son of God. And this is the doctrine of the incarnation. God became human. What an incredible and necessary truth if there's any hope this Christmas. The incarnation, the God becoming of a human. We just sang... Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And that's one of those Christmas songs that I'm always like, I don't know what the word hark means. But I think it kind of means let me grab your hand and take you and show you a bigger tree. That's what hark means. Hark is that, that whistle that I don't know how to do that I'm always jealous of when people do. That's what's up. That's, that's hark. And I don't know what a herald angel is. But I do know that there's some incredibly rich theology in these Christmas carols. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Fully God. And if you're like, well, to to say that God sent his son is not to say that God sent God. What does that mean? Listen, when the scriptures call Jesus the son of God, there was no gray area whatsoever. That was a declaration of the godness of Jesus. I am grateful to be a father to three sons. And my three sons are different than me in a whole lot of ways. Sadly for them, they're all like me in some ways. But they're different from one another, and they're different from me. But at the end of the day, they have my nature. They're humans, despite what some of their friends might say to them sometimes. They have a human nature because they came from a father who is a human. Jesus is not actually the offspring of God the Father. The the reason for the language of Father and Son is that we might understand His nature. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus' enemies had no confusion about who Jesus claimed to be. In John chapter 5, verse 18, it says, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus is the perfect son. Fully God. As we read the Christmas story in the Gospels, Matthew starts with the genealogy that has the names in it that are difficult to pronounce. And then he begins to tell parts of the Christmas story that we don't read In other places, John Mark in the Gospel of Mark just gives one prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. That's his whole Christmas story. He just jumps right into it. 
It's the Gospel of Luke that really unpacks for us that really long 52-verse chapter, Luke chapter 2. But I love John's telling of Christmas. John chapter 1, verse number 1, in the beginning, the Word, capital W, the express communication of God. The revelation of God, the word, that's a reference to Jesus. In the beginning, the word did something that our minds cannot begin to wrap around. The word was with God and the word was God. And I don't know if you know this, but I can't be something and be with something at the same time. That's not how that works. This beautiful glimpse into the first two persons of the Trinity God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, God and with God. We won't get Christmas right if we don't get the beginning right. God the Son eternally. And then we skip down to verse number 14. Merry Christmas, y'all. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Whew. And we've seen, we're going to talk more about this in just a second. We've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Almost every single advent, I find a reason to go to John chapter one, verse number 14, because I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this verse. The message paraphrase said this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. What neighborhood? All of them. Oh, so good. And he didn't just show up and hide. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind, like father, like son. Glory. And then full of grace and truth, generous, inside and out, true From start to finish, he's a perfect son. He is fully God. Let's just stand for just a minute in front of who he really is. Not what he does for us. Not what we get from him. Who is he? He's the eternal God. In human form. God In the flesh. God. As an infant. I was hanging out with Nathan Hohulin last week and he told me a story about their little boy Micah. He said we've been reading this illustrated children's Bible to him at night. And he was telling me it's actually quite beautiful. You know. It's, it's just beautiful to see this language and this, this expression of, of the truth of God. And they are in the nativity at this point. And he's reading this story to little Micah. And, and Nathan said he was kind of just moved by the beauty of it. And Micah starts belly laughing in the middle of this moving moment. He's like, what are you laughing at? He's like, Pfft. God's not a baby. 
That's how ludicrous the Christmas story is. That the one who spoke everything that ever has or will exist into existence would take on human flesh as a newborn. What? Why would he do that? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. He is the perfect introduction. He's fully knowable. The reason that God chose to send his son is so that we could know him, see him, perceive him, be introduced to him. Jesus was born of woman, and the reason that's important is so were we. Other than Adam and Eve... We all experienced the same beginning to our little existences. We were born of woman. Despite the fact that we live in a day that can't define a gender, we were all born of a woman. That's important. When we blur those things, we lose the ability to connect with reality. And Jesus was born in a way that we're supposed to be able to connect with that reality. He's born of woman. Hey, me too. God becoming knowable. Is that incredible? That we could see and behold the glory of God. He sent Jesus to introduce himself. His name shall be called Emmanuel. God with us. Present. S.D. Gordon said this, Jesus was God spelling himself out in language humanity could understand. (laughs) That he would come to us. Here's why that's so amazing, right? Paul's writing to the Galatians here. Good Roman-influenced Greek culture, right? You know the thing about the Greek gods? They were very removed from humanity. With all of their power and majesty and mystery, they were separated from humankind. As a matter of fact, the philosopher Plato said this, God and man can never meet. And Jesus said, watch me. God and man can never meet. And we meet him in the cry of a baby. What's more knowable than the cry of an infant? That he would choose to be known by us. That's why Jesus said, whoever's seen me has seen the Father. When we see the miracles he's doing, we're not watching a great person do great things. We're seeing the heart and character and nature of our God. Here's the thing, you know, it was prophesied about him that he would carry our burdens. That he would bear our griefs. And here's the thing, to carry something, you got to get close to it. I can't bear something from across the room, right? Unless you're Darth Vader doing some kind of weird stuff with the force, you got to get there. 
Jesus chose to get close enough to my grief that he could take it from me. To get close enough to my burdens that he could bear them on my behalf. The perfect introduction. Fully knowable. And here's the last observation. It's the perfect birth. He's fully man. This baby is fully human. (laughs) Somebody was like, the perfect man, that's already what's on my Christmas list this year. Yes, Lord, send me the perfect man. (laughs) The perfect birth, fully human. He had to be. I don't begin to understand this. As a matter of fact, Will, I'm throwing you a curveball. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It's a few slides back. I skipped it, but I want to go back there. This is the Apostle Paul, the greatest mind of the New Testament, said, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. I love that the greatest... Human mind to explain the gospel was like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) How could God be manifested in flesh? It's a mystery. I love that humility and that humanity. It's the perfect birth. He's fully man. See, he had to be God in order for the sacrifice of his life to be of enough value to pay for our sin. He had to be. He had to be God in order to have the authority, the power to deliver us from sin and death and the grave. He had to be God to be perfect enough to give us his perfection, his righteousness. But he had to be a man if he was going to take our place. Only God has the ability to die for someone else and it applied to them. But it's got to be a human to atone for human brokenness. Skip Heitzig said this, and I've never heard this phrase before. Man, I've been in church my whole life. I've never heard this this language before. So maybe you've heard this before. I just think this is like, whew. Jesus had to be God to have the power of salvation. He had to be man to have the privilege of substitution. What what makes him the perfect person? There it is right there. Tweet that, man. I'm just telling you, he had to be God to have the authority necessary to save me from me. But he had to be human if he was going to stand in my place. This is the beauty of Christmas. This is the, man, let's just slow down from the noise and let our vision expand. Let our vision grow up a little bit from little Jesus, right? Some of y'all are Ricky Bobby and sweet little seven ounce, whatever, yeah, baby Jesus. Man, no, let's see the magnitude. He's bigger than we thought. He's bigger than we thought. He's God contained in human form at the perfect season. The perfect season 
culturally and spiritually and politically and prophetically, God the Father sent his pre-existent son, fully God, to be fully revealed as a human because he was pursuing us. That he would come for us. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. When the fullness of time had come, God did not send forth Santa. He sent his son. I have nothing against Santa. We did not do Santa when I was growing up, and we don't do Santa in our home, but I don't think there's anything wrong with Santa, right? It creeps me out a little bit that he's watching me while I sleep. I don't know that I'm down with that. And here's the thing. I should have been on the naughty list every year for the last 45 years, and I still get presents, so I got no beef with the guy. But God sent a Savior for real, bigger than myths or stories, bigger than magic. But there was a real St. Nicholas, right? There was a real St. Nicholas, but we really don't know a ton about him because his legend is so much bigger than history. Everything that I've said to you about Jesus this morning, I believe on the authority of Scripture to be true. But I'm telling you some stuff about St. Nicholas that we don't really know for sure. There was actually a bishop, the Bishop of Myra, was named Nicholas long before he was called a saint. Nicholas, the Bishop of Myra. And legend is told that he was at an incredibly important moment in the history of our faith. In the year 325 A.D., we have the first ecumenical council of the church. The first time that somewhere around 300 of the most influential church leaders gathered in one spot to have one conversation. They discussed a lot of things at the Council of Nicaea, but they only came together in that spot, in that time, in that place for one reason. It was to discuss this. Who's Jesus? Who really is he? Is he bigger than we think? And there was one guy named Arius, an influential leader, who believed the same thing that most Americans believe about Jesus, sadly. He believed Jesus was a great person who was less than God. This council is called together. Arius is given the floor. And he begins to explain why he believes Jesus is not God. And the legend is told that as he eloquently describes why Jesus is not the Son of God, jolly old St. Nicholas is getting madder and madder and madder. Maybe that's why his cheeks were so red. It was a blood pressure problem. (laughs) Apparently, the Bishop of Myra really was generous and really was a gift giver. But the legend says he gave an interesting gift on that particular day because the story's told that as Arius is eloquently describing why Jesus is not God, Bishop Nicholas had enough, got up, walked across the room, and slapped him across the face and said, you shall not blaspheme Jesus Christ. Apparently Santa has some anger management problems when it comes to do, when it comes to the deity of Jesus, right? Don't know for sure if that story is true. But it makes for a really cool Christmas story. 
What we do know for sure about that gathering place, the Council of Nicaea, is they came up with a benchmark of this is who we believe Jesus is. This is the the Christian faith in a couple paragraphs. And maybe you grew up around a faith tradition where you said frequently the Nicene Creed. Anybody? Maybe you uh, came from the Apostles' Creed or maybe you grew up Baptist where it's like, we don't have any creeds. Like what? We don't have any creeds. That's our creed, right? The Nicene Creed that, again, goes back... 1700 years. I want us to end this morning with, with a glimpse of this statement about who Jesus is. The Nicene Creed begins this way. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. That's a pretty great statement about God, the Father, isn't it? It's good. It's endured the test of time for 1,700 years. We believe that about God the Father this morning? It's good. It's very concise. I want you to see how much they said about Jesus. Go to the next slide. That's what they said about Jesus. After this paragraph, they say like half of a sentence about the Holy Spirit. So maybe they were Baptists. They... I was just waiting waiting for it. Tiny little statement about the doctrine of the church. A tiny little statement about baptism and forgiveness. They've hardly said anything about forgiveness of sins. I'd be like, let's write a paragraph about that. Have you met me? Tiny little statement about the future resurrection. But man, they wanted to park on the person of Jesus. And for our sake, it was good for us that they did. So in honor of jolly old St. Nicholas, I want to read for you kind of phrase by phrase what they we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ the only begotten son of God well you can go to the next slide it gets a little bit easier to read we broke it down there one Lord Jesus Christ the only begotten son of God begotten of the father before all worlds God of God, light of light, very God of very God, (laughs) begotten, not made, being of one substance or nature with the father by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. Ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again, not as an infant, but with glory, to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. This is Jesus. It's bigger than they thought he was. <laughs> Here's what I want us to do this morning. I want you to just remain seated and stay engaged with me, but I want to invite the musicians to come back and prepare to lead us in worship in just a second.
invite them to the stage now. Here's where I want us to end this conversation this morning. If this is the magnitude of Jesus, then now what? This Christmas morning, how do I respond? How do I see a glimpse of the magnitude of the incarnation and the eternality of Jesus? What do I do with that? And I want to ask you a couple questions this morning. The first one is this. Have you given your life to Jesus? I mean, if he's that... If he's that Jesus, the question is, have you given your life to him? And I don't mean, did you at some point in time think you might have prayed a prayer that maybe might get you to heaven? I mean, have you given your life in relationship to Jesus? Because if not, I just can't imagine a better time of year to be like, I'm not walking out of this season without knowing I've got a relationship with the living God. Have you given your life to Jesus? And while that's a one-time event, the next question is our ongoing question we carry with us every day, right here, right now. Are you giving your trust to Jesus? Because some of us would say, yes, I'm trusting him with my eternity. It's my tomorrow that I'm really struggling to place in his hands. I'm trusting him for heaven, but the... The health news I've gotten, the insecurity of my job, the economy. I don't know if I can trust him with that. And I'm just telling you, if he's that magnificent, I just believe he's trustworthy. I just believe he's worthy of our faith. Have you given your life to Jesus? But today, are you trusting him right here, right now, in the same neighborhood that he came to visit? Are you trusting him on that street? And then here's the third question. If he is God in the flesh, will you give him your praise this morning? Will you give him the glory that he deserves this morning? Can we celebrate him this morning above the known and the unknown and the noise? Can we just celebrate he's bigger than we ever could have imagined? If you don't know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus, while, while we sing this last song, there will be some folks in the prayer room in the back, or you can message us online. We, we love to see you connect with the Lord in that way. But, friend, I just want you to know, if you have trusted in him at one point in time, I want to ask if you're trusting him this morning. I want to ask you if we're praising him in the way that he's worthy to be praised, because he is nothing less than God in the flesh. Will you stand with me? Father, we confess that we are grateful and dependent and celebrating the fact that you sent forth your son. You did so so that we could know you. You did so so that we could be rescued. You did so so that your glory would be tangible among us. May we respond to that kind of appropriate glory today. You are big. You are bigger than we thought. You are glorious. You are magnificent. You are worthy to be praised in this place. You are worthy to be worshipped in this place. You're bigger than we thought. God, would you move among your people as we worship you this morning? Would you stir up our hearts and our affection for your renown? God, would you pull us away from the noise and the distractions? And might we celebrate the God who's worthy to be praised this morning in Jesus' name.